Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lenevichek and we're continuing our conversation on Eucharistic revival. Um, we tried to frame it uh, in our first show about, you know, why should we care? Why should Catholics care about the Eucharist? And uh, I think we kind of we concluded that the idea of, of knowing more about the Eucharist is something that and desiring to know more about the Eucharist and deepening our affection for the Eucharist and using the Eucharist the way it's meant to is closely correlated to the level of conversion in our lives, right? And in the end, I think that's what the bishops are concluding in their three-year Eucharistic revival program. In the end, all the various facets are getting ready, teaching, uh, fostering opportunities for encounter with the Lord, uh, nights of adoration, all kinds of things. And then finally, once the people of God understands the Eucharist better, then there is the opportunity for mission. So that's how this Eucharistic revival thing is structured. We were going into the Old Testament to kind of see exactly how the need for sacrifice was pre is present in all cultures, how it was fleshed out in the Old Testament, and how manna in the desert, and before that, the lamb, the Passover lamb, um, are signs or precursors of the Eucharist instituted by Jesus at the Last Supper. So that if you were looking at a continuum, so like a, a line, right, a continuum, you'd have manna, you have Passover, manna, so Passover is what? The lamb of God, right. uh, the unleavened bread, the, the, la the blood of the lamb that saves you. Then you the have the unblemished lamb. What's that? The unblemished, the unblemished lamb. lamb. Then you have the the falling of the of the manna. So the gratuitous nature. Basically, the whole manna thing is underlying the fact that that's a gift from God. It's bread from heaven because literally it would come from heaven, from the skies every day. So that's in the Old Testament. So that's like this prefiguration of how important this this thing will become in the New Covenant. So what happens in the New Covenant? In the New Covenant, Jesus celebrates what? A Passover supper. So he's celebrating the same thing that mm -hmm. Moses was invited to do. He's continuing in the tradition of his people, but no longer are they going to need the blood of the lamb that's sacrificed. They're going to need the blood of the lamb of God, who is Jesus, right? Right. So it's no, it's no coincidence that Jesus institutes the Last Supper, basically the, the sacrament of the Eucharist, during a sacrificial understanding of the Last Supper, right? Uh, of a Passover meal. And it, it, there are four cups that are drunk during the Passover feast, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder. And the third cup is known as the cup of Todah, or Thanksgiving which, fine, you'll say, that's great, that's interesting, but guess what the word in Greek is? Toda in Greek is eucharisteso, eucharisteso. And what does eucharisteso mean? It means thanksgiving. thanksgiving. So we have the Passover in the Old Testament, we have the man as the bread of, the, of God, we have the bread of the presence in the tabernacle, we slingshot to the New Covenant, we have Jesus instituting at the, at the Last Supper, the sacrament of the Eucharist, whereby he will always be present. In John 14, it says, he says, I, it is better that I go to the Father 
because then I will remain with you always through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he's also instituting the sacrament through which he will be with us forever, which is the Eucharist, right? So again, divine continuum, Passover, manna, Eucharistic institution, the wedding. But what? But are we meant to stay at the Eucharist the whole time? What does the Eucharist itself prefigure? Will there be communion in heaven? Will there be Eucharist in heaven? No. Why? Because we'll be present with him. We will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So that's the continuum. Manna, Passover, Eucharist of the New Covenant, and finally the wedding banquet of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb, the culmination of this idea of the sacrifice and the true presence of the Lamb. Does that make sense? Makes so perfect I, sense. I think that's that's really, really important. We got and then you know, then we can get into the weeds with the whole understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, This is my body, this is my blood. And if you don't eat my blood, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you know, that kind of thing. And you can go into the weeds of the study of the Greek words of, that he uses. He kind of very much uses the words of consumption, of chewing, of tearing, of ingesting. Eating. Yeah. It's not symbolic. No. They're not lamb cookies. You know, they're not, it's not sort of a, you know, a fake representation. It's actual ingestion. If you do not consume it, that's the same way the Passover lamb was. The Passover lamb in Moses had to be consumed, meaning what? He had to be cooked and he had to be consumed all the way. No leftovers. When, and John, he, he clearly says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Mm-hmm. And so let's put ourselves in the life of a first century Jew. These people were following Jesus, especially when you see in John, this John 6. Basically, they've been following Jesus ever since the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. So they're basically, what, looking for a free lunch. You know, right? They're not, you couldn't go to a 7-Eleven and get a taco or something, you know, or get a chimichanga or whatever you can get at the 7-Eleven back then, you know. If you ran out of food and you were in the wilderness and you were in a place there was no food, there was no food. And so if for Jesus to provide that much abundance uh, from the five loaves and from the seven loaves and the fish and all that stuff is pretty unbelievable. So you did have mixed motives in his followers. And when his followers are confronted with a guy who says, you need to chew on me, they're going, whoa, Whoa. this is too heavy for me. Plus, what? The law forbids any form of blood, eating blood or eating dead bodies, you know, all that stuff. It's like quite a shock. So if you're not all in, you're out, right? Yeah, some of them chose to turn around and walk. I I want to say somewhere in John, it says most of them left. A lot of them left. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't Mm -hmm. say, oh, sorry, guys, you know, I didn't mean it. Um, I was just giving an example, you know, or no, he actually really wants the disciples to know that he's dead serious and that he is living his body and blood as a sign and as true, true blood, true body, true food for them, all right? So right. that it's no longer loaves that are multiplied that will perish, that will become, you know, go bad. 
like those barley loaves eventually probably rotted, right? The leftovers. Uh, it's imperishable food. It's food that will last forever. And may I say that we're already wired for this because we're created by God. We're sons and daughters. So this is a natural path. And when you were talking about sacrifices in the Old Testament, going back to different religions, it was to appease a God or something. We're wired to know God. That's how we're made. So what you're discussing and sharing is available to all of us. It's not like, oh, I don't deserve it. I, I can't do that. No, 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 no. No, it's available to all of us. Mm -hmm. Amen. And only really, he's the only real thing that's going to satisfy. Exactly. It fills that hole in your heart, as St. Augustine said. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's pretty, pretty, he's pretty clear on yep. what he wants. He wants literal consumption, not symbolic consumption. So why would he go to all that trouble to freak out his disciples, to send away large groups of people who were following him out of mixed motives? Why on earth would he do that today? That They would say, what, that's a very bad PR move, right? Right. And yet, um, when he goes to, it, it must have been so bad because he goes to Peter and the guys and he says, they must have been looking a little puzzled. Can you imagine? And said, are you, will you two also leave? And I love Peter because Peter's like, you know what, Lord, we, we, we're thinking about it, but where else can we go? Go, that's right. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? So um, we, we see, you know, the Greek word used in, um, in John chapter, in verse 60, it says, the disciples themselves say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The Greek word that's used is skleros, from which we get sclerotic, something that hardens. It, it means harsh and offensive. Yet many disciples leave him, but he sticks with them. He says even four times that his flesh must be eaten. So we have um, an idea of what Jesus is trying to present. He's trying to present a real sacrifice, a sacrifice that represents him and that is his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And that's why Lumen Gentium, one of the, uh, the constitutions of, uh, on the church from uh, Vatican II, says... Taking part in the Eucharistic sacrifice, which is, and here's a famous sentence, is the source and, and summit. summit of the whole Christian life. Mm -hmm. They, being us, the faithful, offer the divine victim to God and offer themselves along with it. If you go to Mass, there's that offertory time. And I always think about myself and my family and my intentions as little pity people that I put on the altar. You know, I'm mm -hmm. offering myself, I'm offering my intentions, I'm offering my loved ones, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Thus, by reason of the offering and through Holy Communion, all take part in this liturgical sense, service. Strengthened in Holy Communion by the body of Christ, they then manifest in a concrete way that unity of the people of God, which is suitably signified and wondrously brought about by this sacrament. So, the idea is this. The Word of God. Who's Jesus? Let's think back here. Was he just a good guy? I mean, who is Jesus? He's true man and true God. So he's the pre-existent, in, the, the, in Greek terms, right, of the word, the logos. That's the Greek word, right? So if God is perfect, which he is, when he speaks, his word is a person. And when he speaks to the person that his word is, 
that too is a person, which is mind-blowing, right? Mm -hmm. But I just described the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think about this. The pre-existing Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh. That's already mind-boggling, right? But then on top of that, he chose to become bread. I mean, I, I'm always looking for ways in which to kind of drive home this truth in a way that really it's fresh, that, that blows your mind, because it should. And that's why the Eucharist is the source, meaning what? The, the beginning and the end, right? Right. Of, of, our, of our worship. So what does, so what is the Eucharist? Well, it's a sacrifice, like I've said, right? I went all the way back to the Jewish sacrificial meals. I, go, I went back to, even before that, the anthropological reality. It's also a sign, why? Because bread is the fruit of human hands, and it's a sacrifice that represents our sacrifice. It's also what? A thanksgiving. I'm using different titles here from the, from the mm -hmm. uh, catechism. It's thanksgiving, right? It's the cup of Todah. It's a cup of Eucharisteso. It's... Um, Give, it's Jesus giving himself to the Father in thanksgiving so that we can also jump into the deal. It's also known as what? Communion. Yeah. What is the Latin word communio? Translates the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. And basically what it represents, the unity of the church. Right? Yeah. Assembled people of God. Amen. It's also the real presence. The real presence. That's where when 7 out of 10... Catholics in the United States say that that's a symbol. They're, they're not believing in the real presence because Jesus himself said he is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So that's the biblical roots, right? You know, we have obviously the, the Jewish understanding. We have the, uh, as mediated through Jesus' teaching, how it is taken in the, in the New Testament. And then we have the early church, right? Paul talks about, he's all about it, right? 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing which we bless, it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, it is not a participation in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.27 speaks about if you are receiving the cup and the bread unworthily, you are eating and drinking condemnation. Right. And then he says, no wonder so many of you have fallen asleep. I mean, that's kind of, that's harsh, isn't it? Ignatius of Antioch, Justin Martyr. So we're talking about people in the 1st and 2nd centuries that very much understand exactly what that means. What exactly does that mean? Well, the bread and wine cease to exist. We see them, the accidents, that is using philosophical language, right? Aristotle, I mean, not Aristotle, Thomas uses these words of accidents. He says, it looks like bread and wine, but the very substance has been transformed into the body, the body blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? What about, let's say, Cousin Joe comes in for a wedding, right? And he's, I don't know, Assemblies of God, or he's Lutheran, or he's Episcopalian, or he's from other faith tradition. And he comes to uh, the wedding, and he reads in the program that he can come up with a blessing, but he can't come up for the Eucharist. Have you seen that? I've seen that, right? Of course. It seems like people from other faith traditions seems to think that they can partake in the most sacred sacrifice of the Mass without actually understanding what we mean by it and exactly what that sacrifice is doing. 
they look at it more like a horizontal meal. You know, like, this is fellowship, we're all together. They, they kind of try to emphasize the unity a little bit more. But, but, but this is, here's the, here's the deal. When we say, when, the, when, they, when we are presented with the Eucharist and they say, this is the body of Christ, what do we say? Amen. Amen. We don't say thank you. We don't say nice to see you. We don't say, I mean, I've seen a lot of that stuff, right? We say amen because we are agreeing to all that the church proposes. That's why it's communion. It's not just thank you for giving me this neat, this neat sacrament. It's I am all in into what the Catholic Church believes. And that's why other faith traditions, unless they become Catholic, cannot be admitted to the Lord's Supper. It's really that much. It has to do with the pretty high understanding of the body and blood that we have. Now, the closest uh, understanding of in other faith traditions is it, we call our understanding transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. Well, I said that before. The essence of the bread and wine ceased to exist, leaving behind only the accidents, right? Right. So that's why it's so important. That's why we can go to adoration because those qualities remain in the host and we can adore the host because there is Jesus, right? Right. The next closest understanding is one adopted by Lutherans and it's called consubstantiation, right? Mm -hmm. And that says that the body and blood of the Lord coexist with the bread and the wine, but then cease to exist after a short while. And therefore, no adoration, they can't be reserved for later, etc. So those are probably the closest that we can get. Most other traditions uh, see it as a memorial or as a symbol or as um, you know, a fellowship meal, or which are we, and they're all good things. And the Eucharist is all those things, but it is also primarily the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. Right? Right. So, no question about it. We're going to get, um, we have a little bit of time. How, how does the bread and the wine, how do the bread and the wine become body and blood of the Lord? How do they, do they just, you know, float down from heaven? What happens? We have a, a validly ordained priest, an altar Christus, so another Christ, who takes, stands in persona Christi, stands in the person of Jesus, and he, quote, confects, he calls upon the Holy Spirit in the epiclesis, the part of the Mass, right before mm -hmm. the consecration, invoking the Holy Spirit upon the gifts. That's what happens. It's like so easy. And the words say it all. This is. This is my body. It's not, it looks like it may be. Mm -hmm. This is. Well, he doesn't say this is a symbol of my blood or this mm -hmm. is a sign of my mm -hmm. blood. Uh, here's an early father, church father, 405 AD. <laughs> Theodore Mapuesta, I love this. When Christ gave his body, he did not say, this is a symbol of my body. But, this is my body. <laughs> I mean, how clear can that be? We ought not to regard it merely as bread and cup, but as the body and blood of the Lord, into which they were transformed by the descent of the Holy Spirit. That's Theodore of Malpuestia in 405. He's just a martyr in 160, so even earlier, explaining what they do to the emperor. Because the bread and wine have been made Eucharist, we call this food Eucharist, Thanksgiving. No one may partake in it unless he believes 
that which we teach is true. And you've hit upon the, you know, all four of the ways that Jesus is present in the Eucharist by all of your comments, because the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy states that the four ways are in the Eucharist broken and shared, in the person of the minister, which you just covered, in the Word of God, we've mm -hmm. covered Scripture, and in, in the, the assembled assembly. people of God, the people That's that are right. present there receiving. That's right. So, you know, think about it. Justin Martyr, no one may share the Eucharist with us unless he believes that which we teach is true, and unless he's baptized. Mm -hmm. We do not consume the Eucharistic bread and wine as if it were ordinary food and drink. For we have been taught that as Jesus Christ our Savior became a man of flesh and blood, so also the food that our flesh and blood assimilates for us, its nourishment becomes the flesh and blood of the incarnate Jesus. So, Amen. What's my point? It's a big deal. Yeah. This is a much bigger deal than people believe. The way they act in church, the way they go to Mass, the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they receive, oftentimes, does not give people on the outside the impression that this is a serious matter. Right? Right. Um, a few uh, closing comments. We may pick this back up in another show. Um, who may receive? Faithful in a state of grace, so no unconfessed mortal sin, who have fasted one hour before the receipt of communion. Um, there's a lot. I, I, I went through the general instructions of the Roman Missal, but I don't think that we need to go through that right now. I think the important thing is that, just closing out these two shows, the Eucharist is a participation of worship in heaven. And there's a continuum. So you're, you're standing in the big, in the river, right, of grace, of salvation, the current of grace. It, it began Passover, manna, Eucharist, and then it will end at the wedding supper of the, man, of the Lamb. Remember, the Eucharist is a complete announcing of the word of the Lord, and the Mass is a commission. What does it say at the end in the Latin? Ite, go, misa es, you are sent, sent. it is sent. Who is sent? We are. We are. And that is truly why the Eucharist is transformative, because it transforms. It's the one thing that we eat that doesn't become us, we become it. Well, it says so in Scripture in John, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So that's pretty important, right? So... Um, Having said all that, we can we can um, we can uh, touch on more things in a future show. But we thank you for joining us now.